Well, preaching on a Thanksgiving service is interesting, given that we are doing a Bible plan this year for the whole year. And this week's topic was about the purpose of suffering. I thought, well, that can describe, that can describe parenthood at times very, very accurately. There's a lot of water that goes under the bridge that you'd call challenging if you're a parent. Um, but there's also a lot of water that goes under the bridge that is delightful because kids are indeed a blessing from the Lord. And Julie and I have discovered over the last few years that grandchildren are even more of a blessing from the Lord and uh, we rejoice with our kids as they are bringing up their kids. And so this message is uh, switching from the focus on the things that are difficult um, to a focus and uh, I hope that each one of us can magnify the Lord in our moments of difficulty to see that there's always cause for us to have hope. And hope, I think, would be one of the greatest gifts, amongst other things, that you could give to your children, parents, as you bring them up. The Bible says to not, fathers, do not exacerbate or exasperate your children. And I've often wondered, is that like, by, what, what does that actually mean? And I've kind of meditated on that this week and kind of got to the place where I'm thinking, you know, dads, mums and dads, don't, don't ever rob your kids of hope. Always put in front of them the potential of a, this can work out, or even if it doesn't work out, it's not the end of the world. But even if it is the end of the world, it's not the end of you. It's like we've got this incredible hope called Jesus Christ to anchor our lives in. I've asked this question before from this pulpit, I'm sure, about a movie called uh, The Beautiful Life. It came out a number of years ago. It's a story about a guy that was put into a prisoner of war camp and he somehow or other managed to keep his little boy alive through that process. Most of the kids were executed by the Nazis. And this, this little fellow was um, with his dad in this prisoner of war camp. And his dad made the incarceration, hit him, hit him in boxes, he hit him under beds, he hit him up wherever he could. Because if he was found, he would have been um, removed from the, the camp and, and either that or killed. And this little boy was in the movie, I think, you know, maybe seven or eight years of age. And this dad decided the only way to keep the child in good spirit was to pretend the whole context was a game of hide and seek, basically. And so it's just this beautiful story of a father's absolute selfless love for his child and doing everything in his power to make that hellhole of a prison a place where this little fella could survive. And it's a beautiful story. Um, and if you haven't watched it, I don't know whether you can... What's that? It's on stand. There you go. You can watch it. It's a timeless story. A, a, a personal story along those lines. I remember Julie and I were flying down to Canberra once from Sydney to Canberra in a clapped out Dash 8, the most horrible airplane ever made. They're a little, little propeller thing with wings on top and they jump around like this in the sky. And we hit, the captain came on and said, we're going to have some pretty severe turbulence between Sydney and here today, folks. So just strap in and hope for the best, uh, effectively. And uh, so it got that bumpy that some of the adults on the plane were screaming like they were terrified. It was just horrible. But there was a couple of people a few rows back from us that had a little kid. You can hear mum and dad just basically telling this child like we're on a roller coaster ride at the, at the show. This is a fun ride. Nothing's going to happen. The plane's safe. And so this kid was not screaming in terror. This kid was screaming in delight. Like, woo! Woo! It's like... And the grown-ups there were going, mm, yeah, okay. Um, nothing wrong with instilling hope in your kids. Yeah. Nothing wrong with standing up strong, even when you're terrified yourself and going, you know what? 
there's something about this that we don't understand, but our, we've got a God. In my case, we've got a God that we trust with our lives. And whether we live or die, we win. Doesn't sound very nice to say it, but I mean, that's a bit of a, a blunt way of putting it, but we do win, don't we? I think we do. So all of us in this room have at one point or maybe on many, many occasions lived with personal suffering, family tragedies, dramas, you name it. There's all sorts of things that happen that are part and parcel of being human beings. Yet here we are, uh, sitting in the house of God with what I believe the only source of comfort at the end of the day in amongst all the comings and goings of life is God and his word, his son Jesus Christ and what we read about God in the Bible. So there's this um, the theme, um, this thread of God in everything and in that thread is always the truth, not lies. We're surrounded by lies and lying, all sorts of people. Falsehoods are spoken out. We, we were surrounded by it. What I love about faith in God is we put our trust in a God who never, he can't lie. It's not in his nature to tell lies. It is in his nature to not always tell us everything. That's different than telling a lie. Um, we don't know all the future, for example. He does. We don't know what our past really means with regards to our future. He does. Uh, God's an amazing being who is all-encompassing. And so we have this dilemma of trying to keep our difficulties in the right level of concern, if that's the way to put it. So Paul, in Romans 8, for example, says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that it will be revealed in us. So he, whether he's wrong or right, and I presume I'd go to the place of saying he is right, he's, he lived a couple of thousand years ago, and he lived from his perspective, he got incarcerated, he got persecuted, he got tortured, he got falsely accused, he got spat on, he got um, thrown out of town, he got all sorts of things going on in his life, which I would say in a comparative conversation, he suffered a lot more than I have for my faith. He suffered for his faith, yet he was able to say, probably in a prison context, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing. Say comparing. comparing. That's that whole word, oh, magnify the Lord. It's like God's glory and God's goodness far outshines any problem we've got. That is not to make light of your problem. That's just to make big the God that we serve. God's bigger than your biggest problem. And that's not to say your big problem is not a big problem because some problems are seriously bad to deal with. I've got no doubt about that. But the Bible helps us, I hope, to anchor ourselves, no matter what we find ourselves in at the moment, in the fact that God has got a purpose and a plan. God actually is with us in our weakest moments and our most difficult moments. So the Bible presents a long-term picture of hope where the other side of suffering um, is glory. So us shining like stars. It's like God's intent is for us, no matter how difficult it gets, we come out shining. It's a bit like the analogy of putting coal under pressure for a long time and it being converted, carbon being converted into diamonds. The pressure and the, the transformation is remarkable, but it's the actual huge pressure geographical pressure, the pressure of um, whatever you'd call that, John Tame, if you're listening, I don't know what you'd call that, it's just the weight of, just the, weight of the, the planet on carbon for a long time and you dig it out and they're crystal clear and shine. 
It's like, is that possible for us? Is it possible when we've been squeezed beyond what we think we can take that God's calling us at the end of that to shine like stars, to actually be a person who's not bitter and twisted, not looking for revenge, not looking for payback, not looking to uh, plot a course of action to bring somebody down. We live in a world that's become very vindictive, very, very comparative, strangely enough. Comparing virtues, comparing character, it's really easy to assassinate someone, someone's character and point the finger. The Bible says, don't be part of that. Be part of understanding that the pain you're in has actually got an eternal purpose and that God can be with you. Um, so as I reflect on the appropriateness of this message for a child thanksgiving dedication service, I was aware of some big issues that we as parents are responsible for with our children. So I want to just give you a few thoughts about how you can do this. How do we build resilience, courage, strength, vision, faith, hope and love into our kids in a world that is so full of suffering and difficulty. This message would probably be a very big challenge to preach in the middle of the Ukraine at the moment. We sit here in, let's just say, in very comparative comfort. Uh, But I don't think there's any benefit in trying to compare our levels of difficulty. we just got to go to the place of, in my view, giving thanks to God for where we are and praying for those who are in a place like that. Some people are called to go there and help them physically and practically, and that's happening all the time, and thank God for that. But uh, we've sent money, our church has sent money to the Ukraine um, through our church network to help uh, relieve suffering. Some of our European C3 churches have got uh, refugees from the Ukraine flooding into their towns, living in bedrooms, in tents in the backyard. They've got, we've got people that are helping people from that situation. But somewhere in there, as Christ followers, there's the need for us to continue not only to be practically helping people, but to bring a message of hope. A message that, you know, in spite of all this, down through human history, it's been a pretty, pardon the language, it's been a pretty bloody messy fair. I mean that in the sense of blood has been shed since the beginning of time. People, like from the, in the Bible story, at least since the moment that Cain killed Abel, there's been blood on the ground. And um, it's a messy world, but we've got a message of hope that people can find comfort, peace, etc., in Jesus Christ. And so as our kids come up through our schooling system at the moment, as this generation of young people that we gave thanks to God for this morning, parents, parents that are here, I'm hoping that our church family would be a place where you continue to be encouraged. It's going to be okay. We continue to be encouraged that, you know, in spite of the ups and downs of parenthood, the days when you want to give up, the days when you've had enough, the days when you really do feel like you could take the kid out the back and (laughs) give it to them, the days when you just don't know what to do. It takes a village to raise a child. I believe that. uh, It's just so much the case. And so a church family is one of the greatest places you can be, in my view, with your kids because they just do encounter people who love them. Sadly, there's been situations, obviously, historical, where the exact opposite has happened in church. It's been the most unsafe place in the world for some people. That is an absolute tragedy. My philosophical view of why that happens is because it's actually um, perversion of the, the very strength the church has got. It's a wonderful place for kids. It's a wonderful place for kids to find out about life. So first point, do all you can to lead your children to a promise from God. 
I was absolutely uh, taken aback when I reread the Ten Commandments again this week to realize that the first commandments are all about how we treat God and the Sabbath. No human relationships are mentioned in those first few. But the very first relational commandment is not husbands love your wives or wives obey your husbands. They don't even get a Guernsey in the Ten Commandments. The central number one priority human relationship mentioned in the Ten Commandments is honour your father and mother. Parent to child is right there, front centre. It's important to God. Why do I know that it's important to God? He's a father, he has a son. It's just his nature. And so that parental relationship is so important, and it is even doubly important, as Paul reminds us, that it's the only commandment with a promise attached to it. It says, honour your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. That's Exodus 20, verse 12. In Ephesians 6, verse 1 through 3, this is Paul revisiting this issue. He changes the language to children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And then he quotes from Exodus 20, honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. If you want to teach your kids to do one thing in life, parents, teach them to honour their parents. Honour you. Can't demand it, you've got to teach it. So honour demanded is not honour. Honour is something that you teach your kids when they don't. How do you teach kids honour? How do you teach them respect? Well, not everybody would agree with um, some of the methodologies, but for example, I'm a great one about table manners. It's like, well, are you teaching the kid manners? Well, in essence, I am. But table manners are actually about respecting the other people at the table. It's about acknowledging the person who may cook the meal, whether that's a mum or a dad or a sibling or a friend that dropped a meal in. It's actually the moment of pausing to give thanks. It's gratitude. It's like all those things together begin to build in a child the capacity to honour and respect other people. So even... I, I get really twitchy when I go to people's houses um, and we just, you sit down at the meal table and everybody just starts eating as soon as the food's put in front of them. And I kind of go, because for me that's just like, that's so wrong. Just, it's like, well, what happened to just pausing for a moment and just waiting for everybody else? I even taught my dog to wait till I told her I could eat. <laughs> Used to sit there for 5, 10, 15 minutes. Um, just waiting and waiting. I, I sometimes really mean. I just sit there for 20 minutes and it's still just... By that stage, I reckon it's lost all the saliva that it even has in its mouth. It's just a big pool. Of... But it, it, it learned. If it waited, our dog, it got to eat. And it got into serious trouble. Like, yep, if, it, if, if she ever did the wrong thing, she, she knew it. So the food was removed from the table. Tough. You've got to be tough with your kids sometimes. I don't mean mean, and I don't mean vindictive or abusive. I just mean you've got to be tough. Say, no, you can't do that. Don't be afraid to say no. You don't learn respect if you don't know how to say no. It's like, no, you can't do that. So you can't write with black text all over the wall. <laughs> can't flush your toys down the toilet. You say, no, don't do that. If you bring up boys, you actually have to teach them where to put it in the toilet. 
That's another issue. It's like, you can't do that either. Don't go there. Just talk to the parents who've got boys. You know what I'm talking about. I've got to say, we've got a bit of side preaching going on here. Getting, getting parents, getting parenting right is God's priority. Don't be afraid to call on God's name to help you. It's like, God, help me. Sometimes that's a good prayer. Help me, Lord. So I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing when the kids scram for 25, 30 minutes, two hours, three hours. The child's inconsolable. It's like, what do you do? Sometimes it's a good idea to phone a friend. Could I just get on the phone and say, or to your mum or your dad if they're still around and are able to help you, or a neighbour or someone from church that you trust that knows your kids. It's like, I don't know what I'm doing. Can you come over and help me? Don't ever be afraid to ask for help. Parenting's not a, a race that you win. It's, it's a lifestyle that is meant to be supported by others. Um, we committed this morning that statement wasn't just words. It's like, we're here for you. Don't be afraid. It's not, you, you haven't failed. If you're having a lousy day as a parent, and you feel like giving up, you have not failed. You're just having a lousy day as a parent. Um, get the help you need. Ask for people to come and maybe cook meals or do something for you. Um, we're also proud sometimes of, oh, I can do it myself. Parents, don't be afraid to ask. Please. Okay. Um, okay. What else we got here? Parent from a framework of truth. Uh, this is my second point. Truth, real truth, is a person. His name's Jesus Christ, not just a set of so-called facts. If you want your children to grow up knowing what truth is, you need to actually introduce them to Jesus Christ. You can teach them science facts. You can teach them mathematical formulas. Those things are all reliable to a certain extent. You can teach them to uh, put their trust in an ideological political system, all of the things that we've got around us can all, at the end of the day, let us down. Jesus doesn't. He can't. He is truth. He says of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you want to have your kids meeting with truth regularly, they need to meet with Jesus regularly. Amen? <clears throat> um, so, and just as scripture around that was John 14, 6 and 7. So Jesus answered his disciples and said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So in knowing Jesus, we find peace, vision and hope. Pray for your kids. Don't ever be afraid to pray for your kids, even if they don't want to. We had some seasons in life when our kids were teenagers where praying with them was a challenge. It was like almost had to wrestle them to the floor. But we, all of them. That was all Emma. You were, you were the difficult one. Not how I recall it, but anyway. Uh, we've got, for those of you who don't know, we've got Emma's our daughter and we've got two sons, one old, she's got two older, uh, older brother, younger brother, and yes, well, anyway, enough said. Pray for your kids. We found that praying for our kids when they're present, because of the point where Julian particularly used to go and pray in one of our son's bedrooms regularly, and uh, find music that was designed in hell. Um, <laughs> just left it there and prayed. They changed the music. She put some worship music on, magnified the Lord in that room. When he left home, there were a few holes in the wall where there were you know, a bit of anger and teenage frustration came out. It's just normal life. Again, don't be ashamed of punched holes in the wall. I mean, you've got to teach your kids how to 
appropriately deal with their anger, but it's, it's like, just keep on keeping on. You know, the moment your kids turn up and give you a mouthful of four-letter words and tell you what they think of you, it's like, not a good day. What are you going to do? You've got to dig deep. You've got to dig into God. You've got to go, hey, well, that's not true. They're just angry. Like, I, we found that God's helped us. And so my encouragement to you uh, parents that were giving thanks for your kids this morning, in particular, but to everybody, like, get God's help and hang on tight because you're going you're gonna to need it. Amen. And my last point, the third point is this. Um, and I mentioned it to do with exasperation, but number three, be consistent and don't make unreasonable demands on your kids. The consistency. Kids, kids see through hypocrisy. Just, just like that. If you're at church and, you know, it's all, church is great and you're talking to people and you go home and you badmouth everybody that you saw at church or at school or at work. Your kids go, hang on a minute. They just work it out. Teenagers are not, not silly. They just kind of go, hmm, there's something inconsistent there. Mum and dad's heart, mum and dad's words aren't lined up. Nearly always leads to, I'm out of there. If your kids sense heart and, and mouth not in synchrony, like not synchronous, in other words, what you, yeah, uh, they will bail out. You don't want them doing that. So try and keep it consistent. Ephesians 6, I said, says this in verse 4, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. So don't play manipulative games. Don't be unreasonably stern, but be firm. It's like just a bit of wisdom around that one. And then in James, it gives you the ultimate key to success. I needed this verse in my life a long time ago and still need it on a regular basis. James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to you. I'd love that verse. Because it's not about, well, you've got to go on a 40-day fast. You've got to stop doing this, start doing that. You've, you've, there's actually, there's no caveats on this. Just ask God and he'll give it generously without finding fault. He's not going to wave the finger at, well, you've got to get that sorted out before I'll give you. He'll give you wisdom when you ask for it. And I don't know about you, but I found that godly wisdom is one of the greatest assistants in life. Ask for God's wisdom. Uh, as you bring up your kids. So let me finish by restating where we started. God is into your parenting. Don't ever for one moment think God the Father, Jesus his son, is kind of some spiritual realm outside of where we live. God is into you being a parent, if you're a parent, and he's into kids living with parents who know what they're doing, even when we don't. Um, he is our father, we are his children, he is so totally into being with you as you raise your kids. So call on his name. Why don't we stand to our feet? Maybe your experience of parenting was complicated. Some of us standing here in this meeting this morning might have some serious scars and wounds from a very complex upbringing. Again, not to make in any way, shape or form light of that.
But I'm encouraging you right now to just allow God to be magnified over that wound for the bigness, the comfort, where the peace. Is it possible the healing power of God can actually outshine that moment? Maybe it was more than a moment. Maybe it was a season. Maybe it was just a rough ride. Maybe you're one of those people standing in church this morning whose upbringing was pretty, pretty rosy. I'd put myself into that category. I was blessed to have parents who loved me. I never, ever questioned that. I was never abused, never threatened with abuse. I think I grew up in a family where I knew no matter what, my mum and dad loved me. And so we can have those two extremes. That's why we're here together in church. We can help each other. So let me pray as we come to a close this morning. Heavenly Father, at those two extremes, we've got lives that are extremely troubled in those early years, and others that less so, myself included. standing in your presence together in this house. And so I pray, Lord, this morning that the mixture of people that we are, the mixture of stories, the mixture of resource, the mixture of intellect, the mixture of career, that you'd take us, Lord, and you would indeed weave us together and we'd find bonds of love, friendship, strength, encouragement, growing every day in our church in our own families I pray Lord for any parent this morning that's discouraged the older parents have got complex kids and grandkids stories connection and disconnection offense some in-law situations are extremely complicated we just pray for them this morning Lord pray for reconciliation pray Lord for the breakdown of hostility in Jesus' name, we pray, Father, that the hostile thoughts would give way to loving thoughts. The brokenness would give way to healing. So, Father, we pray your blessing over every family this morning. Come, Holy Spirit. uses the language of adoption when talking about us as people coming into God's family. So when we know about God, maybe we don't know anything about God, but we know something about God and we've heard of Jesus, it's like being introduced to the Williams family. You can meet us and know us, but until you actually move in and decide, I want to change my name, become a Williams, I want you to adopt me. You're always a visitor. You're always somebody who's looking from the outside in. God's got the same issue with each one of us. We can even hang around church, but always be a visitor in the sense that we never become part of the family. 
And so we have a theological framework, I guess is the best way to describe it, understanding that God invites every person, adult, believe, person, person to believe in their heart, to believe in their mind that what the Bible says about Jesus is true. His son, he died on a cross and his blood was able to cleanse us from our sin. Well, there's a whole bunch of stuff in that. There's a lot to swallow. All to say this, that is all about God wanting to make a way for you and me to be included in his family, to be adopted into the kingdom of God. If you've never prayed a prayer to God and said, I'm sick of looking out from the outside in, I want to be in. I want to be in your family, Lord. We can pray a prayer together this morning that invites Jesus Christ to establish his kingdom in your life, become a brand new creation and you become a child of God. If you never prayed a prayer like that, either at church or somewhere else in your life, and you'd like to this morning, I'm not going to ask you to do anything other than slip your hand up so I know that I'm talking to you. And we can pray a prayer together. I'm not going to ask you to come out the front. I'm just going to leave you exactly where you are. But I do need you to give me a little wave so I know that you're dealing with this on the inside, head and heart right now. And we can pray a prayer together to see you come into the family of God's family. Lord, we give you thanks today as we come to a close. Pray that we would have a lot of fun out at our picnic at Charleston. Watch over us and be with us till we come together again next week. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, church. Remain standing. We're going to close with a song.